Hello and welcome to the Suffin' About Suffolk, a podcast where we deep dive into the county of Suffolk. Episode 2 is the second part of The Dig 2021, so if you haven't listened to episode 1 yet, go back to hear interviews with Laura Howarth, the Archaeology and Engagement Manager at Sutton Hoo, Jay Ducker, Rafe Fine's personal assistant on set, and the first half of our roundtable review with John Wright, Anne Hurst, Laura Bacon and Mavis the Fox. This week I talked to Charlie Haylock, the man behind Rafe's Suffolk accent, and Rachel Aldridge from Screen Suffolk, who sourced locations for the film. Should we take a look at them then? Right. Things like this are usually done through museums. Yes, but with the war coming, they couldn't embark upon any new ventures. Well, I've been on digs since I was old enough to hold a trowel. My father taught me. Let's jump straight into the second half of our review. Last week, we left the discussion a little concerned for how Hollywood the film becomes in the last 10 minutes, sacrificing Peggy Pickett's character for a love story and concealing the LGBTQ plus relationship in glances and stares. To try to get this made, I feel like someone would have had to have ticked all those boxes. And on the other side of that, we do get sweeping shots of the countryside, real Suffolk accents. I mean, we've briefly um, compared notes on Twitter about how it it was incredibly emotional every time uh, Ray Fine said like "cool the heck" and and all of these Suffolk phrases. I was like, "Granddad, is that you?" Yeah, and that's that's down to Charlie Haylock as well because he suffocated the script, and I think that's brilliant that they allowed him mm. to do that so he could say, "Actually, no, the Suffolk person would say this." Yeah, and that mm. makes it all all makes all the difference for us for us Suffolk people because we like yes, get it out there, get people listening to this. Like, oh, if they'd said uh, on the heart, that would have been amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like get that in there somewhere. Presumably, um, there was a big scene when there was a, a, a plague of Bishy Barnabies or something like that that they, they edited out. <laughs> all of the words, yeah. Yeah. That'll be in the dig too. More digging. More digging. <laughs> <laughs> the helmet. The, yeah. <laughs> Someone yeah. comes in with the helmet. It's shiny. Look. It's oh, no. <laughs> so golden. Um, so speaking of the helmet, I'm asking everyone this. Um, no wrong answers. Do you think that Edith Pretty and the continuation of it have done the right thing by keeping the treasures in the British Museum in London? Or do you think they should have gone to the Ipswich Museum or even indeed then transferred to the Sutton Hoo Museum? I think they it's British Museum's quite good though, because then you you can see all the mummies and stuff while you're there. <laughs> you know, you they have kids. they have a mummy in Ipswich Museum. In their Egypt section, so you could you could go and see it there. I mean, at the time, it was probably the right decision, Um, and you know, people have break into museums, don't they? And Nick Rhino horns. So if it was very very uh, valuable, that would be a a challenge, maybe. But I don't see why now um, they can't put it all back in in Sutton Hoo. People can go there just as much as they can Mm -hmm. down to the the British Museum, and probably while they're at it, the British Museum might um, need to give a couple of other things back as well. Just a couple. <laughs> Just a few. Yeah, I agree. I agree about yeah. Sutton Hoo. I think I think it's such a it's such a special place. Anyway, it would just it feels like it's um, a little bit cheated by not being allowed to have its own stuff. You know, when you go there, you sort of go, yeah. Oh, so the real stuff isn't here. But um, yeah, I think it's about time, yeah, especially it be, now. It be Sutton Hoo. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to Ipswich, because Sutton Hoo is what it, it's famous for, right? It's like Ipswich. You, you either go to Ipswich to Sutton Hoo, then you're just in Ipswich. 
<laughs> yeah. No, it's it's interesting. I remember going to Sutton Hoo as a child and seeing the helmet and the treasures and then reading the small print that was like, not actually the thing, go to the <laughs> British Museum, lol. And it was my first brush in with like colonialism, as it were, where I was like, I'm sorry, what? Someone came here and took something that belonged to us and it should be here. And then you go to the British Museum and you're like, wow. And then you apply that train of thought to everything that you're looking <laughs> That's at. That's in there, yeah. And I'm like, oh, we suck. There is nothing British about the British Museum. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. nothing, except maybe the ironworks. Um, oh, that's not even the British Museum, that's the V&A. Um, but then I go to the British Museum with my friends and they're like, obviously, let's go to the mummy section. And I'm like, OK, but like, let's also go to the East Anglia section. And I like push them in front of a helmet and I'm like, and it is a really nice moment to be able to share that with people. But just as easily, they could hop on a train an hour out of London and come see it. And then go out and look out onto the mounds. And I think that that addition with the treasures, the whole thing, um, would be much better. So hopefully one day they'll return. I think they've popped by and been like, oh, hey, son, who it's us, the real treasures. Anyway, bye, back to London. But hopefully one day they'll be like, we're here to stay, baby. But I don't know whose decision that would be. Do you know what's interesting also? I've spoken, I, I used to work in America quite a lot. And um, I've got lots of American friends and they're really interested in it too um, so it's not just you know not just people over here not just Suffolk because I keep thinking it's just for Suffolk <laughs> it's like yes yeah. movie but um, like yeah quite a few Americans have watched it and said oh it's lovely it's really great I love the accent and um, a couple of people know Mavis know about Mavis they're like oh it's, it's great to actually hear something because they just know Mavis with the accent so they're like oh that's what it's like on a human <laughs> that's, yeah. like, that's actually a real accent like, yes it's yes. finally it's depicted true. in a movie on the screen yeah I honestly can't think of an example of when the Suffolk accent has been used properly in a film I think or um, even outside Paul Suffolk mm. Paul Whitehouse did a good job in um Oh, David Copperfield. It was a bit more Norfolk, but he did the East Anglian, and I was like, okay, fair play. He's he's done a You've good tried. job on that. Apart from lots of other people, I think was there a, a show called Coast with Stephen Fry and Tony Slattery did a a Suffolk accent with a Norfolk accent probably, and it was so pirate. It was like the most pirate <laughs> accent you've ever heard. And also um, yesterday, that was Lily James, wasn't it? Yeah, that's and Lily she James went again. she went full pirate. She went full pirate for yesterday. So I wonder if she's now thinking, oh shit. Did that wrong. <laughs> Literally, uh, didn't put the work in that Rafe did. Yeah. No. Oh, she maybe she listened to Charlie and she was like, oh, "That's <laughs> how you do it." Silly yeah. Lily. Mm. <laughs> um, interesting that it went from basically a two-hander between Edith Pretty and Basil Brown, and it was all these sort of like long looks and interesting conversation and similar ideas and principles. And then Monica Dolan, who I love and adore and needs more everything because she's just wonderful, um, comes in and then gradually it essentially becomes like a six-hander. Like it's almost like you come in halfway and it's a completely different movie to what we were just watching. Do you think that was, I don't know, what did you think about that? I have to say I was confused when she, when she came in because I thought, it can't be his wife. Is it his sister? And I, I was really sort of... This is all wrong. <laughs> this is this has completely jarred everything. Like you say, it suddenly turned into something else. Um, but mm, I it's, absolutely what? loved her. Thought she was just brought it. She's she brought just, it. 
she's perfect. She's a perfect actress, and she's that. She's so perfect that everyone for, sort of forgets about her because she just encapsulates every role that she's in, and she's just a fabulous actress. It did feel like there was an act one and act two. Like act one mm. was the dig in and the two characters, and then act two was like, let's bring all the other characters in. Yeah. Like it did suddenly sort of changed. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and let's tick all of those boxes as yeah. well that yeah. we have to tick because we can't do the whole movie just about this. Surely, yeah. Which is what oh, they could have, yeah. but then that also illustrated. You know, Basil Brown did get sidelined, and he, mm. you know, mm. other people did come and um, take over, and and um, you know, so that's that's kind of how it was. Um, very good point. I, I wondered yeah. how how tolerant they really would have been of him storming off and then coming back and then storming off and then coming back again yeah, and all, yeah, all that. Right. Is probably slightly more petulant than um, than he would have been. I don't know. but I loved it. Very off, dramatic, though. Off on his bicycle, mm. yeah. yeah. There he goes. There was oh, great debate it. about whether or not bicycles in 1939 had kickstands because when he parks up, first of all, outside the house, he, he stands it up. I wonder if bicycles in those days had the ability to go from disc to <laughs> some good tires. So yeah, you right. Really oh, let's talk about the kid. He played. He did some absolutely amazing crying. And British kids, I can can be a bit hit and miss, but he went full Henry Thomas on that. I was like, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, America definitely has the better child actors. Whether you're going from ET through to like Stranger Things, but. We, I mean, we just need to look at the Harry Potter franchise to sort of see what we've been able to... Hogwarts history. History. <laughs> stop, stop, stop. Um, I thought he was really, really great. And I thought that he pretty much held his own between two quite established... I mean, Ray Fiennes is bloody established and Carey Mulligan's getting there if she's not there already. Um, huge British actors. And he, he was a third character amongst them. And sort of brought the theme of if the three of them were the themes of the past the present and the future um he was he definitely held his own within that sort of trio of theme mm, definitely um, he done ever so well <laughs> he done ever so well he, and he did make me cry yes yeah did that's, he? Where, that's where i rate him <laughs> yeah did everybody else well up at that point? I was like, oh, he did it so well. His mum would be so proud. I was blaring. <laughs> I was definitely blaring. So did this is did she die at the end? Was that the car when he was all in black and Basil Brown waved off? Was she like in the back of that car as a corpse? Or no, was she it... died. She died years, she died years later. Yeah. Yeah. In 1942, she that. died. Yeah. I thought that, but then mm. there was that shot where she's doing that very sort of filmic, peaceful. She's in the boat, in the blanket, looking up mm. at the stars, and her son's there being like, Mom, isn't it majestic? And she's like, I'm dying. And then there was like a car in the distance, and he was all in black, and mm. she wasn't there. And Basil Brown like waved to him. So I was like, hmm. Do you yeah. know, I think we were meant to think that that's that she died. I yeah. think that was meant to be our closure, and that was probably mm. the, the Hollywood the thing themes, or the Netflix thing. Yeah, yeah, because she didn't die until no. yeah, nineteen forty-two. <laughs> but but obviously, the the film wasn't going to you know. So yeah, the I film almost fast forward. Closure. Yeah, like a closure yeah. for yeah. us. And I think for it was us sim- as viewers, symbolic yeah. of her. Mm. This is her moment in a boat. 
what she and does. Yeah. if she like represents the present as it were then her dying then means that pre- the present as we know it comes to an end because war is here now and mm. um, they were very sort of heavy handed with their like look at the aeroplanes we're on the brink of war we're at war now can you tell because the plane has crashed and we've literally seen it we've seen we've seen it we've seen we've seen the plane it's here now because the war is here now it's like yes thank James you James shag of a pilot yeah. so <laughs> yeah. a pilot Quick, who was like shag. you must not die I'll get my wings soon and then the very next shot is a dead man with like wings prominently it's like yes we know he's gonna die because the war is very sad but you're not gonna show the war are you I did think it not abruptly ended but I was like oh like I kind of wanted <laughs> I mean it is just the same movie again isn't it when they come back after the war they're like well as you were, just more digging, <laughs> more digging, <laughs> more digging. dig back up what we've already undug. But um, I was hoping for photographs in the credits of what they really looked like. I had to I Google it. They do that. Yeah. I'm a fan of that. Yeah. Yes. No. So the, the yeah. photographs were all all of the cast, weren't they? Not the not the original pictures so yeah, yeah they, so they missed a trick the... there but then that would have highlighted their um inaccuracies and their merging and <laughs> I- ignoring of characters wouldn't it so that's probably exactly why they didn't true. do it yeah that's yeah true. like who's that woman holding a camera yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she wasn't there <laughs> and um i think lily james was was much younger as well than or at least she definitely looks it i'm not quite sure how old peggy piggott was but what lily james is younger than Peggy Piggott. I think so. I thought that, I was going to say, you know, when we were talking at the beginning about Carrie's age, the one thing that did um, distract me was Lily's age, because I thought, Lily James, we're supposed to believe she's married to Ben Chaplin, who's 50. Who was her um, father in Cinderella three ew. years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and Welcome to um, Hollywood, Lily. Yeah, and the other thing that I did Google was I had to Google whether they wore crop tops in 1930. I thought that too, actually. <laughs> so I was like, that's a lot of waistline. Yeah. That's a lot, lot of waistline, waistline to be showing. Also, for someone she was not at the very beach. short skirt, skirt. She was wearing yeah. a very, very short skirt for 1939, wasn't it? But do you know yeah. what? They did wear crop tops and they did wear those little shirts tied in the middle. I was like, Funny, wow, they're though, so ahead. It? Between the wars, so ahead of its time. <laughs> Well, they were in the roaring 20s. They were probably still, you know, they'd just gone through a global pandemic. So everyone was like, woo, crop tops for everyone. Exactly. So maybe we'll see a resurgence in a couple of years' time of the crop top. But, um, well, we kind of have already. Gosh, but I really hope not. The, the croppier crop top. <laughs> Please, God, no. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I, I, I was sort of taken aback there as well. I was like, Lily, I can almost see your abs. As nice as they are, we are nearly in the 40s. Um, the acting was the type of acting that I would send clips to acting students of. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. just the, so many stares of people like, subtext. Like, I'm act- like, the acting was so loud. Do you know what I mean? Even though no one was talking. <laughs> The acting was so prominent. It's like, you know exactly what I'm saying, even though I'm not saying anything. And I'm like, oh, oh, they're so good. Look at them act. I think that was very much highlighted with that technique, with the, with the, with the staringness and then talking yeah. underneath. Yeah, made, made it more intense, even though they weren't actually so doing it down there. Yeah. So intense. So do you think anyone is a contender for a, an Academy Award, possibly more so a BAFTA? 
Well, I think Ray Fiennes should win all the awards ever for being the first ever actor to be able to pull off a convincing Suffolk accent. That is fair enough. Charlie Haylock should get a a special. Yeah, she get like a mini Oscar to go with it. I don't think I don't think um, dialect coaches get Oscars, and it should be it should be. They really should. A campaign needs to start now. Yeah, dialect coaches to be. Yeah. Film people like stunt doubles don't get anything. Awful because for like superhero movies, they are the superhero. Yeah. So yeah. that's silly. No, I think we should. Ray Fine should. I'll contact Ray Fines and uh, I'll tell him if he wins the Oscar, he needs a little one with a flat cap on it to give to <laughs> Charlie Haylock. Maybe put it's, it in it's the such dirt. Such an achievement, though. Like if you think I'm about scary. like no other actor is. I mean, he what he is technically from Suffolk, um, but still, he managed to do it. He managed to do what no other actor's done before: be a Suffolk on film. <laughs> and I think what was so great is how. Um, intense he was about it he came onto the set and he made that he really clearly cared about this story and mm. this character um, I'd love to talk to him about it because he wanted to get it right and he he picked the people around him because they were sort of harsh on him and they were like you're not doing it right Rafe and he was like good tell me more of that and so was but Monica Dolan but he worked Dolan. hard for it so like if, yeah. if an actor works hard for something that makes a lot mm. of difference and he wasn't doing a Russell Crowe going yeah I could do a Nottingham accent whatever <laughs> no worries <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah literally and I think that's really commendable um, and just really Again, lovely to see because they easily could have phoned that in. They could have been like, a movie? Yeah, I do three of them a year. What we doing here? Okay. But it felt crafted. It felt like everyone on board had a story to tell and they had their script and they'd gone through it with a highlighter and they had their little actor's thesaurus next to it and it just felt like everyone had worked hard on it, you know? Mm. There was a nice... uh, Going going back to the cinematography, um, a lot of the shots I noticed were sky... So, like, the actual um, land was very, very, I'm going to do it on my screen, like, low on the screen, and there's a little tiny ray finds, and then there's a huge, like, sky. I just really liked that. Nothing, mm. like, spectacular, but it was just a nice, you felt open. It felt like um, you were outside because there was yeah. so much sky. Whereas some outside exterior shots will be a whole load of ground and a bit of tree, but by seeing so much sky, you really felt like you were outside for some reason. Yeah such a good point i hadn't even clocked that as a thing but you're absolutely right um yeah the the sweeping suffolk skyline it's what we're known for and yeah we were talking about that all the way through actually me and my husband we were saying gosh it is it is so suffolk they've captured suffolk with the shots because you know when if you go on instagram anybody anybody from suffolk who's on instagram who goes for a walk um you know, we'll take a photograph with the with the sea or the coast or the, the landscape or the snake marshes or whatever, and then masses of sky and then this, the milky sunshine. I mean, that those shots with the milky sun behind the cloud or the mist. Yeah, it was, was lovely, just, wasn't it? Really, it really nice. You were just in Suffolk. The light and everything was exactly here. It couldn't have been more Suffolk, the whole thing, could it? Yeah. Really, it was beautiful. It, it felt beautiful. emotional for that reason. Yeah, didn't it? Didn't it? <laughs> Loved I hope it. people who aren't from Suffolk can watch it and feel that too and think, oh, let's go there for a holiday, you know, just somewhere that isn't depicted as much. Mm. Exactly. It's it's so true. It's really lovely that you said your American friends were interested in it because so often mm. I feel all we sort of give out, because all of my American friends are like, The Crown, what was Margaret Thatcher really like? Yeah. And I'm like, go and watch The Dig. Like, there's Bridgerton. stuff outside of London. Bridgerton is American, let's be honest. So American. Um, <laughs> it's made for American audiences. It's American. Absolutely. Um, 
not a bad thing, but it's American. And like, there's so much more to England than London. And when people think of the countryside, they think of that sort of hot fuzz, Somerset, Cornwall. Mm. Um, but come this way, there's plenty here. Whole coastline of it. I've got a fun fact about Stuart Piggott. Ooh, fun personal fact. When I was a student, I was in a Burger King advert with him. <laughs> no way! <laughs> what? The actual man? The actual actor, Ben Chapman. Oh, the actual actor. Stuart I, I was like, <laughs> I thought you meant the actual yeah. No, Stuart Piggott wasn't, wasn't an actual. <laughs> no, but Career that, change at the oh, end of his life. <laughs> that would have actually been a way better story. That was so kind of wish, Kind of wish I'd, that that had been the story. I'm so sorry oh, to disappoint wow. you guys. That no, was... the actor. No, Ben Chapman right. is just as good. Yeah. What, that sounds amazing. Was it? Did you have to eat like twelve burgers in like an hour? Did have to eat a lot of burgers. And um, did did Ben Chapman have a whopper? Uh, I think he did order a whopper. Actually, I think that's when they just um, come out. But anyway, yeah. So total distraction from the film. But I thought fun fact to throw. No, out that's there. really that was fun. An amazing fact. The confusion that swept over us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. It's <laughs> amazing. I was just going to talk about food as well. I just love the when he picked up the lemon drizzle cake. I've been wanting lemon drizzle cake for days now. <laughs> Such a tiny bit of the movie, but then I was just like, oh, I keep thinking about them every day. And I don't have an oven. I only have a microwave and ring, so I can't make any cakes. That's just really sad. You try and make it in a mug in the microwave. Try I've and heard see. about this. Is this? I've I've never tried it and I daren't, mm. but my sister's a, a connoisseur of, of mug cakes, so I might have to do that because Give I've been craving Google. cakes so bad and yeah. I don't want to buy one. No. no. But didn't that do. lemon drizzle look amazing? It had the perfect crust, crusty <laughs> yes. top, didn't it? I was really <laughs> noticing. I was like, wow, they've really paid attention to the top because it's crusty. Well, yeah. That's just me then. <laughs> no, I looked at it and thought that is a that is a cracking lemon drizzle yeah. cake. Hardcore <laughs> lemon drizzle, drizzle cake. But all in all, yeah. I enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from the thrown-in um, Hollywood checklist, that's my yes. only drawback. But I don't and think I, it detracts too much for me. And I think that's yeah. it, isn't it? Like, it, it's startlingly obvious where Hollywood is sort of bustled in with their elbows. But luckily, it's so minimal or so right at the end where you're googling who Stuart Piggott was in real life anyway, that it doesn't take away from, I mean, what's an exceptional first act, a very interesting second act, and just a great story overall. And genuinely, I'm not even joking, like I would watch a dig like 1.5 where they uncover it after the war and they just tell us what happened then rather than just a couple of sentences. My last thought actually was the font. The font that they used <laughs> really threw me because it looked like the kind of font that would be used in like a Fast and Furious movie or something. Did anyone it, else it feel did. that? It felt yeah, no, um, my my thirteen year old son pointed that out at the end. He said <laughs> that was that was the kind of thing that he would do on one of his little YouTube things. Yeah, yeah I don't know it why. It felt very like bam, <laughs> the dick coming to a cinema, yeah, yeah, rather than like what it, it is. Like... But the font for the actual thing. I thought it yeah. was more Times New Roman italic. No, it's very sort of action-y. It, you, you, you kind of expected them, them to have an outtakes reel or something with it. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it came up at which, the beginning. Which might be very funny. I wonder how many... I would love yeah. to see the outtakes for this one. It's like... There you go. Can you see that? 
Oh, yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, so yeah. It's like copper plate. Oh, it's like yeah. um, the born ultimatum. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. 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 He came with a trowel and a satchel. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. And he dug in the ground, and what he would find, no one knew. Is it Viking? You'll have to tune in to find out. That was so exciting. Can I just say, like, genuinely, I got such thrills when he was like, I think it's Anglo-Saxon. I think it's Anglo-Saxon. And they're like, uh, it's Viking. It's like 100% going to be Viking. Maybe Roman. I don't know. Maybe it's Viking. And then at one point, they were like, by Jupiter. It's Anglo-Saxon! And Ray Fiennes looks really smug, and Edith Pretty is like, well, yes, Ray Fiennes has been saying that for the entire movie. And you're just like, ah, it's Anglo-Saxon! That's so exciting! It's so old! It's so old! Well done, everyone! It's so old! Like, I got into... You know when you watch the Olympics and you become a professional whatever they're doing, and you understand how the scores work, and you're like, psh, what a brilliant triple twist! I understand gymnastics. I kind of got a bit like that with archaeology, where I was like, oh, it's Anglo-Saxon, everyone. Congratulations. Well done. He Very knew well. what he was looking at. He did. He did. He knew that was Saxon. <laughs> so exciting. And Sorry. just so exciting as well in the sense of, like, our own history. Like, as... I forget, like, because you grow up and you go to Sutton Hoo and you go to Culture to Castle because it's the closest things available and often free... And then you go elsewhere and you're like, actually, we were like the capital of England at some point. Like, like, yeah. like we're on it. Like, we're so cool. Like, that's so awesome about us. Well, that's that's the start of, of, of England as a nation state, isn't it? That's the first, Redwald is the first kind of king of, a, of an area which then grew to become England. And, and Ipswich is the first... Um, settlement. I know Roman uh, Colchester claims it as its first Roman town, but Ipswich, Gipswick was the first permanent settlement that's then continued. Oh, so so cool. we we is right on it. And King Edmund, like, and King Edmund, yeah, he should so be the patron saint of England. Sorry, Saint George, but dragons, whatever. And like, like he was a real guy. And wasn't George Turkish as well? Yeah, yeah, something like. like that. <laughs> Shut off. Make a campaign for that. I bet there probably is actually Suffolk people. I, I, I think BBC Radio Suffolk might have mentioned that one or two times over the last <laughs> ten years. Um, with yeah, with lots of campaigns. Let's get Charlie Haylock uh, an Oscar yes. for yeah, dialect so coach, many, and, and then we'll turn our attention to that. Then we got patron Saint Edmund of of England. We also need to get um, the Sutton Who treasures back to Sutton Who. So that's three petitions so far. We're on it. We're going to change the world. Any last thoughts on the dig? It would be interesting to see whether uh, more films come here, whether uh, people come for holidays, and whether sales of trowels go up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, if Fifty Shades of Grey can have a BDSM revolution, maybe the dig can have an archaeology revolution. Digging revolution. Digging revolution. (laughs) You dig the dig. Well, do you dig the dig? As you can probably tell, we firmly dug the dig. Do you think Charlie Haylock deserves an Oscar for teaching Rafe Fiennes the Suffolk accent? I caught up with Charlie about his time with Rafe, but just before I share that, let's go to Rachel Aldridge from Screen Suffolk. So I'm joined now by Rachel from Screen Suffolk. Thank you so much for coming on. That's all right. Lovely to be here. Um, So can you tell us a bit about Screen Suffolk and what it is that you do? Yeah, so Screen Suffolk is an organisation um, uh, that works on behalf of all the councils, district councils and borough councils in Suffolk to uh, facilitate and permit filming across the whole of Suffolk 
So if you're a filmmaker or a photographer and you, you need to close a road or film on a beach or film in one of our parks, um, you just contact us and we sort that out for you. Yeah, Amazing. Yeah. So did Netflix get in touch with you or did you sort of make yourselves aware to Netflix? Well, we, we've had the, 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 the story for the dig. Well, the book was obviously written quite quite a number of years ago but the script has been around for quite a, quite a number of years now um so it's always been on our radar and I suppose it's about two years ago that a location scout started contacting us and they were looking for things like Edith Pretty's house in Suffolk or they were looking for little bits and, and mm -hmm. we sort of gave them a few pointers and then it sort of all went quiet again and then it sort of all picked up again sort of last summer no the summer of 2019 mm -hmm. um when they said, yes, they would definitely wanted to come to Suffolk for a week. And we helped them find certain locations in Suffolk that, that they used. Nice. So I visited Sutton Hoo back in November um, during the sort of mini semi lockdown when we were still allowed to sort of do some stuff. And from what I remember, they don't actually use Edith Pretty's real house, do they? Or do they? No, they don't, no. They couldn't actually film at all at Sutton Hoo um, because it's open to visitors um, and also you can't really film around the mounds and obviously you can't dig it up. Um, <laughs> so they, 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 filmed, they filmed mainly, they filmed the main dig parts of the film and Edith Pretty's house were all, were all in um, Surrey and the studio, um, the studio was in Surrey as well, so yeah. So they did a week's filming in Suffolk where they got all their establishing shots, um, where they really sort of, they did the first week of filming in Suffolk um, so that they could really get the, the look of the film nailed down before they went on to do any other filming. So they had it in their minds that they wanted the big skies, you know, the, the, the marsh to run all the way through the film, which it does, yeah. doesn't it? It's, it's, it's so beautiful. Oh my God, it's gorgeous. I had no idea that you know, this place I've lived all my life, it looks so magical on film. <laughs> and you're like, you get yeah, really proud. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. So it the the ferry that he rides to get to Edith Pretty's house at the beginning of the movie, was that in Suffolk then? That is, that is Butley Ferry. Um, and it's one, actually there's a few, uh, something else I do, which is something that no one knows probably, is I'm also a ferry man ferry woman nice. uh, for the Wolverswick Southwold ferry so I'm a I'm a rower um I row people across that stretch of water so I know there are a few um rowing boat ferries in Suffolk and Butley is one of them and there's one in the Wolverswick Southwold one there's um Bordsey as well so so yeah there's a there's a few around that cover small stretches of water oh, amazing and it wasn't ever a possibility that you were gonna don a beard and be the sort of ferryman for Ray Fiennes <laughs> No. <laughs> That's no, a the, shame. Uh, the butley the but the people who people who are on film it, it, on film rowing the ferry are actually the butley ferry man and his wife Aww. um and they and they 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 donned the costumes and got dressed up and did that so which is so so lovely because actually nice. you can't just let anyone row one of those boats across the river because you actually kind of have to know what you're doing yeah <laughs> <laughs> you can't just let an actor do it <laughs> 
no no matter and and actors are notorious for sort of putting things on their cv that they definitely cannot do in real life so yeah there could have been an accident there (laughs) yeah Um, i can row yeah yeah sure put me on yep great and then suddenly you're dragging people out of the river yeah that's fair (laughs) (laughs) so what other locations in suffolk were used specifically do you know them off by heart I know a few. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, so the most I'd say the most recognisable location, Suffolk location is probably um, Boyton Marsh, which is where all the scenes with that brick structure were filmed. Um, and I'd say that's the most recognisable. That's an RSPB site. Oh. So, yeah, uh, it's a lovely site if you ever want to go for a walk or anything. Mm. Just it, it's beautiful. You've got lovely footpaths around by the water um but that's where they filmed a large part of the Suffolk filming which we pointed them in their direction but the RSPB then sort of managed that themselves because they know all about looking after wildlife and all that sort of sort of thing um uh we also helped them with some filming at snake moltings um there's a scene where a boat goes along the river um and and we we help them with that and we also they're unit based and put all their technical vehicles it's actually at snake moltings itself um for a day so that was really exciting and they filmed on albra beach um and they did a bit at shingle street with rafe pines riding his bike Mm -hmm. um yeah so all over the place and and they were only here for a week but there is so much of it in the film that's what's so lovely yeah they crammed so much of it in when you consider how long filming takes that's crazy that they were only here a week yeah yeah um so does that mean you were on set sort of uh at the we time on, when they were we were on set um myself and my job show Jim we were on set for the snake moltings Albra Beach Shingle Street day yeah which was yeah. so exciting it's so great it's always exciting it's fun <laughs> isn't it there's something magical about a film set where yeah. you're just like oh and this was pre-covid so it was September 2019 yeah. so it was all very relaxed um mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was it was it was really it's really great. It's always lovely to have people visit Suffolk to film. It's just yeah. always such a, so lovely. And people always love coming here as well, which is great. That's really good, yeah. But yeah, we've had a busy start to the year and there's people, you know, we are have got more things filming. We've got a Suffolk story, another Suffolk story filming later on in the year. Which, yeah, which I can't say too much about. Yeah. <laughs> that's very exciting there is going to be more Suffolk on the screen that's for Mm -hmm. sure nice so did you did you enjoy the dig I assume you've watched it loved it yeah absolutely loved it um I watched it with my kids and they and it just really you know I've taken him to Sutton Hoo so many times and it's quite abstract isn't it just looking at those mounds and I've taken them to the British Museum to see all the you know masks and and treasures but it's just so it was just it really sort of brought the whole story to life for them and I think it's gonna I think it's done that for so many people and I think mm. people weren't completely aware of of it outside of Suffolk I think everyone in Suffolk knows, knows the story but outside of Suffolk and so I think it's going to have a real impact on 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 the tourist industry here as well yeah you know, people yeah. wanting to come and visit and visit Suffolk itself absolutely and there's so much here tourist wise that come like come out it's amazing so I'm sort of asking everyone this um do you think the treasures should have been given to the British Museum or do you think they should have stayed in Suffolk oh I know (laughs) I 
do you know what? I okay. I, I mean, I, I, I'm no. I think they should have gone to the British Museum, although that's probably controversial, isn't it? <laughs> maybe, they, maybe they should have gone to the Ipswich Museum. But I do think about the British Museum. You, the most amount of people then get to see them. Yeah, absolutely. So I like it for that reason. And mm-hmm. I, and when I go to the British Museum, I just find it so exciting to go and see that and know that's from our little part of Suffolk yeah it's so Um, true I feel the same whenever I'm with someone I drag them specifically to that part to be like look look (laughs) what we found (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly um yeah yeah, I think and 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 the visitor centre at Sutton here is amazing you know they've done you know even though they haven't got the original treasures there you feel like they have, don't yeah. you, when you go there? Yeah, definitely. And they definitely have the real mounds. So, and that's really the exactly. more magical yeah. part. Yeah, yeah. So, initially, I was contacted by Ray Fines by the phone in mid July 2019. <laughs> and he'd seen my dialect tour of the UK on Charlie Haylock YouTube, showing all the different mouth and lip movements each of the dialects that I was doing, including Suffolk. And because it's more important to look at mouth movements when you're trying to do a dialect than listening. You will fine-tune it, but if you get the lip movements right, you're 80% sure of getting a dialect. And every dialect has different lip movements, as he saw on the YouTube. Right. Then he saw me doing the difference between East and West Suffolk and the different lip movements, and he thought, he's the boy I want for teaching him to do a Suffolk dialect. And then they contacted me, agreed, and as soon as I agreed, two days later, I received the script, which I read, and then I suffocated. Now, that meant rewriting it. This was just the Suffolk lines, not the other ones. And I read it phonetically, and I slipped in a few Suffolk phrases and dialect words. It was no good putting things in, like, slightly on her, <laughs> because outside East Anglia, nobody would understand that. Bear in mind, the film is being shown in America, Canada, worldwide, mm-hmm. right? Okay, then, it's no good saying there's, when they walked across the field early summer morning, there's a heavy dag today, a heavy dew, because once again it wouldn't be understood. Mm-hmm. But where I could, I slipped in a few Suffolk dialect words. So when Mrs. Pretty is down in the dig, and it's a bit unstable, Basil Brown says, you mustn't be down there, Mrs. Pretty. Well, I was able to slip in, you mustn't be down there, Mrs. Pretty. And everybody will know what that meant. Mm-hmm. And then changing the grammar, so, like, we're now leaving rather than we're leaving now, and come you here, and do you take care of her? So I could slip in a subtle way of saying it, which made the accent more authentic for the film, but people would still understand it. Um, early August, I met Rafe at Colchester Station, and then I realised for the first time it was for real. <laughs> right, they actually saw the bloke. Yeah. And then we went from the Key Theatre to Sudbury, and we had quite a number of training sessions there. Now, he was there for the whole day. He was there for an eight-hour session, and the next time another eight-hour session. So it wasn't just turning up for half an hour. And we went through the script, went through the script. We then went out into the community because he decided that he wanted to be in a Suffolk dialect non-stop, off 
yeah. was going to stay in a Suffolk dialect non-stop. So we went out into CAF so he could order up his bacon sandwich. <laughs> have a bacon sandwich, please, dear. And so one lady recognised him, so he autographed the menu. <laughs> we then went into some Suffolk pubs for the in the tap room and the public bar so we could join in with the locals in conversation. So not only could he get the sound right, the Suffolk dialect, but also the rhythm. Mm. And this is most important. It's no good sound in Suffolk if you haven't got the rhythm and if you haven't got those pauses. Because the big thing about the Suffolk dialect is, one, it's not too fast. And secondly, when we're talking, there are lots and lots of pauses. And that came through in the film because there's a line there which says, Mrs. Pretty has just said that she was also involved in an archaeological dig when she was a young girl, old enough, just old enough to hold a trowel. And then Basil Brown looks at her and says, according to the script, that speaks, doesn't it, the past? And I say to Rafe, right, we've got to put a pause in there. Must put a pause in there because a other person wouldn't say it like that. So it comes out, it speaks, doesn't it? the past. <laughs> now, whilst that gap and that pause, Mrs. Pretty is thinking, what speaks? Everybody watching the film thinks, what speaks? Yeah. And as soon as people have thought that, then you've brought people in. It, it goes back to our storytelling times from Beowulf to the present day. Mm -hmm. Those pauses means that you're bringing the audience in, you're bringing the listener in and the viewer into your storytelling and conversation, and they feel part of it. Mm -hmm. And that is essential when portraying a Suffolk dialect. Um, I think this is pre-filming, mm -hmm. so filming didn't start until mid-September. But early in September, I then ran two workshops, Suffolk dialect workshops, for all the other Suffolk actors. Did this in a London dance studio <laughs> because I insisted on mirrors. <laughs> when I was working with Rafe at the Key Theatre, we had mirrors, right? because then he could copy my lip movements, look in the mirror and copy my lip movements, and by getting my lip movements right, he was getting the accent right. Yeah. So therefore, <clears throat> we had this here um, dance studio in London, and it ran two, two workshops. Rafe turned up to one of them, and there was Monica Dolan, who played Mrs. May Brown, mm -hmm. Eddie Piercy, who played Mrs. Lyons, Bronwyn James, who played uh, Mrs. Pretty's maid, Joe Hurst, who was John Jacobs, and James Dryden, who was Mr. Spooner. And I'd suffocated all their scripts and used the mirrors so they could get the uh, copy of this, the lip movements right. And at the end of each workshop, all the actors got their smartphones out and filmed me reciting all their lines. Oh, wow. So when they went home, Right. Not only could they hear me, yeah. but also see my lip movements so they could carry on practicing their lines and get the accent right. Now, some were struggling. Mm -hmm. Joe Hurst, who played John Jacobs, right, he came all the way from South Wales to spend a day with me in Alborough. So he came down on the Saturday, stayed Saturday night with a mate of his. <laughs> then Sunday, I met him, and then we went to Snape Sunday Market so we could then walk amongst Suffolk people, listen to the Suffolk dialect, 
I introduced him to people so he could get into the swing of it, just to get the dialect right. And all he had was one line in the whole of the film. <gasps> but he wanted to get it right. Yeah. Because I told him right from the word start. <laughs> my first words to Rafe, well, apart from hello, was, you know, I've got my work cut out, didn't you? <laughs> and he looked at me, why? I said, because all you actors, when you try and do a Suffolk accent, you end up like uh, West Country Pirates. Yes! <laughs> so he said, right. So that was the first. Uh, and I told all the all the actors that, I do not want to hear West Country. I don't want to hear Pirates. <laughs> right? Ellie Piercy, um, she came with me one Monday afternoon to the Black Soul ship, uh, near Snape, for their round-the-room busking afternoon. <laughs> and one of the locals, Daphne, sat with Ellie, and they went through her lines together, so she could actually hear a Suffolk, an old Suffolk lady, speaking her lines, not just me. And then Bronwyn James came back from Yorkshire for a second workshop. They all knew they mustn't sound like West Country Pirates. Yeah. I'd set a high standard, and they all responded to that. That's so good. Um, continued with Ray Fiennes with his dialect training, and I also took him to the Black Soul ship on a busking afternoon, Monday. And he joined in. We talked to a number of the locals, and he sang a couple of songs. He can hold a good tune, you know. <laughs> oh, yes, he can. And he enjoyed it. Thoroughly enjoyed himself. Then the filming started in mid-September. Now, my contract was now coming to an end. I'd trained... Rafe, all that time up to filming, and I trained all the other actors. So I was going to be on set for something like the first week and see everything was going right and then go home. But every day they kept on tweaking the scripts. Mm. So we had to resuffocate them and then he had to relearn the script. Mm. Right, so we spent all that time learning that and there they were tweaking it. Mm -hmm. So for consistency, they then, Rafe then went to the producer and said, look, because this script is being tweaked all the time, I need Charlie A. Like, on board all the time. Because they said, yes, we agree. And so I then carried on right the way through filming until it finished. Amazing. I know. And uh, so I had to duck and dive a bit. <laughs> now, the initial filming was done in Suffolk, but we couldn't film at Sutton Hoo because, mm -hmm. one, it was National Trust, the mounds had already been dug into, so we couldn't dig into them anymore. And also, um, there was there was nothing there really. The mounds aren't that big anymore mm -hmm. because of the tank training that after the war or before the war. So we went into Surrey, and we did a lot of filming in Surrey. There was a big field there where they had made these mounds, and so they recreated uh, Sutton Hoo and everything else. So there's quite a bit of travelling down to Surrey as well. Yeah. Um, so we carried on. Then, after every take, after every take, I had to make notes and then report to the script supervisor. Now, she'd then make her notes. So it could be 15, 20 takes, sometimes even more. So you're making take after take after take after take. So when it came to editing at the end, if the director turned around and said, right, I want that take there, the script supervisor, oh no, they didn't do the accent very well there. It did it very well there. And so they could pick, pick a, a scene where they got the accent right. Oh, wow. But, oh, yeah. But then, <laughs> right, um, as soon as 
I walked up to the script supervisor and said, that accent was absolutely superb on that take. The director had already whipped out, going, oh, that was absolutely beautiful. That was absolutely marvellous. He was an Australian, by the way. It was marvellous. That was absolutely great. Best one yet. And we very soon tweaked that when they got the accent right, the director was saying it was the best acted. Amazing. Because they got the rhythm of Suffolk right. They mm. got the way it was pronounced right. And it's, once again, it's the storytelling. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. But Rafe, as he came out of, the, of every set, the first, first person he'd look for was me. <laughs> and I was sat in strategic positions, and he knew where I was. So the first person he'd come out was me. Now, rather than running up and towards one another, we quickly worked out a bit of a sign language. So a thumbs up was obvious. <laughs> um, I'd do a beckoning sort of, beckoning towards me, so we'd then meet up, go through it, tell him where he went wrong, get it right again. And then there was the puckering of the lips. So if he came out to get the... Because <clears throat> right, West Country, they talk down the bottom of the throat, so you talk down here. Mm-hmm. You talk down here, down the bottom of the throat, mm-hmm. where I suffer take, uh, the, talk at the front of the mouth. Right at the front of the mouth. Yeah. And so we say farm rather than farm, and barn rather than barn. Right, so we got to now to say words like here and do ya and round and Mr. Brown, you actually push your lips out like blowing a kiss to one another. So if he got those sounds wrong, when he came out of the D, out the off off the set, I would look at him and I'd just pucker my lips. <laughs> and well, what he did, he puckered his lips back. It looked as if we were blowing kisses to one another. <laughs> On one occasion, when he came out, I held up a big notice, nine point seven. And Carrie Mulligan, who was playing Mrs. Pretty, they both saw it and they both laughed. <laughs> the next take, I'm holding up 9.9. And Carrie Mulligan, as Mrs. Pretty, turned around to Basil Brown and said, you're improving, Brown. <laughs> which was, yes, which was, yes. That was rather good. So this went on. Um, and I'd be on the set fairly early in the morning, sometimes at uh, 6 o'clock in the morning, make sure I was available for Rafe so we could spend time together before he went on on the film set. Then in between takes, he and I would get together, go over the lines. He was seeking perfection, he really was. Mm-hmm. Now, during filming, well, when I first met Rafe, he was an actor who was going to play Basil Brown. By the time we were filming, he was Basil Brown. <laughs> and as a result, I never called him Rafe anymore. I called him Basil. Mm. On set, off set, so I could help him stay in character. Mm-hmm. That was my little way of helping him. Oh, right. What he did to become Basil Brown, he went to the British Museum and he saw the treasure there. He also held and read Basil Brown's notebooks so he could get into his mindset. He then... On the next occasion we met at, um, Colt- at the Keith, he had a Sudbury. He cycled from Colchester to so Gortrain, then cycled from Colchester to Sudbury in his Basil Brown gear, riding not a racing bike, but the old-fashioned postman's bike like Basil Brown had. He then, the next, we had an eight-hour session, right? he then stayed at the Mill Hotel, and then he cycled from Sudbury to Woodbridge, and then cycled from Sutton Hoo to Rickinghall and back like Basil Brown had done. Oh, my 
gosh. He, he was going to behave like Basil Brown. He went to Ricking Hall so he could meet people who knew Basil Brown, <gasps> so he could find out about the character. He went to Sutton Hoo several times to look at footages and archives so he could dress and be become Basil Brown. He went on an archaeological dig, <laughs> right, so he knew what it was like to be in an archaeological... So when he was being filmed, he wasn't being ham-fisted. He was doing mm. it properly and correctly. Yeah. So he, he, he did all that, right, which was, which was fantastic. Yeah. So you can see he had become the character, and that's why I called him Basil. <laughs> now, Monica Dolan, as Mrs. Brown, she cracked the Suffolk dialect as well. And you'll notice during the film that when they speak to one another, they speak in a broader dialect than when they speak to the Toffs. Mm. Those days, when you spoke to the Toffs, like Lord of the Manor, you then put on a bit of a voice <laughs> that's not so broad. Well, they did that as well in the film. And, we, and Basil Brown, or Ray Fines and I, we practiced that. So when he was talking to Mrs. Pretty, it weren't so broad, but when he was talking to May Brown, it was the normal Suffolk dialect. Mm -hmm. And also, they were told, when the script finishes, carry on ad-libbing because the director didn't want to say cut immediately afterwards. He wanted to run a while, and so you had continuity rather than all of a sudden sudden cuts. And some of the ad-libbing right, was so good that it's in the film. <laughs> so there's a lot of unscripted ad-libbing in the film. But there was one that didn't get through, and that was when May Brown turned up one night with the shirts and Basil was surprised and the script finishes and he said um, in a very suggestive way sure you won't stay the night May? <laughs> to which she replied we ain't got time for that you wait till you get home <laughs> I know that they, because they were in the part they could do that that's how good they'd become and it was Monica Dolan also said, because she was being interviewed on BBC Radio Suffolk, and they were complimenting her on the dialect and getting it right, and she said something like, it would be disrespectful to Suffolk people if we didn't. Mm. And one time I went up to Monica, there was one word she couldn't get right. There was one word she couldn't get right. And I kept on going up, and I said, I'm sorry to be a bit of a perfectionist. Well, she turned around to me, she said, what's wrong with perfection? <laughs> And that little comment, that gave me the confidence to keep on going in there and say that weren't right, that weren't right. Mm -hmm. So that was very, very helpful. Um, Ray Fines gave me a lovely, lovely quote. I approached Charlie Haylock as I had watched some YouTube recordings of his talks on the history of spoken English. His ear for dialect is extraordinary. I hoped he'd been able to give me... I hoped he'd be able to guide me to the right accent for Basil Brown, famous Suffolk-born archaeologist who I was playing. Charlie is a perfectionist and would correct me on anything that felt inaccurate. The challenge being especially to avoid sounding West Country. His pleasure when we, the Suffolk characters, got it right was tangible. I love that it was a matter of pride for Charlie that he wanted us to speak the Suffolk dialect accurately. Charlie's pleasure in the work made it one of the most fulfilling experiences. I'll get better than that, can you? No, <laughs> that's amazing. And then Susanna Lenton, she was the script supervisor. Um, 
Now, this is the f- I'd worked with actors before on stage, but never with on a film set. Mm-hmm. Completely new to me. The best, and this is Susanna Lenton, the script supervisor, the best dialect coach is one who, through working with the technique and understanding of the roots of a dialect, allows an actor to find and play the inner truth of his character. The dialect and the dialect, sorry, the dialect and the dialogue become as one with the natural physicality and thought process and just the simple being of the character. Charlie absolutely achieved this with Rafe. Having never worked on the film set, Charlie's approach was fresh and insightful. The result of a mind-boggling knowledge of Suffolk history, detailed note-taking on every take of every shot that Rafe was speaking and was impressive, Charlie's gentle manner and dedicated approach to working with the other actors was, I know, much appreciated by them. For myself, it was always fascinating to learn the stories about how the Suffolk dialect originated and evolved, an endearing and hard-working presence on set, and offset the humorous and expansive personality in the pub. <laughs> there you go. Wow. I'm asking everyone this, so this is just a sort of side question really the Sutton Hoo treasures do you believe they should have gone to the British Museum or to the Ipswich Museum or should they now go back to Sutton Hoo um, as Mrs Pretty said more people will see it at the British Museum mm-hmm. and I agree with Mrs Pretty mm-hmm. Make sure to tune in next week where we'll be starting our Suffolk historical timeline. I'll be talking to Westow, Ipswich Museum and Charlie Haylock once more, among others as we open the first page of English history with the Anglo-Saxons. Make sure to subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode and follow us on YouTube for more content. And if you enjoy the podcast, you can head to co-fi.com and show your support for the price of a cup of coffee. All links are in the description. For now, thanks for listening. Mind how you go.